Hello and welcome to the Recreation to Recreation podcast, the show where we explore the stories of people who have turned the activity that they love into positive change for our world. My name is Jen, and I'll be your sidekick on this adventure as we treasure hunt for gems of insight and wisdom while exploring the planet with our inspiring guests. For today's adventure, we're heading to India and beyond with Arjun to explore his world of heritage, regeneration, and slow travel. Hi, Arjun. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Janet. It's wonderful to be here today on this incredible podcast. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to exploring together today. And I'm wondering if you can just tell me where you are, what it's like there, and get us situated in your world. Basically, you know, I'm between the UK and India, spreading our story, telling our message across the world to different places, to different people, that uh, India has incredible heritage, cultural and natural. It has incredible stories of conservation, of regeneration, and in ways which with low volume, low impact travel to kind of access unvisited areas where you have these incredible stories, mythologies, monuments, temples and palaces unvisited in 100 years. Wow. So everybody landing here with us today, we're straight in. (laughs) That's so wonderful. I always like to start these interviews with some weird and wonderful questions. I hope that you're up for this because they will be things that you are unprepared for. And so am I. So I'm excited to do it. (laughs) Well, that's wonderful, Jen. And for all the listeners out there, it's been a decade since Jen and I last talked. So this is fantastic way to touch base (laughs) after 10 years. Honestly, (laughs) I'm so excited. It's, oh, this is just a blast. Okay. So first of all, On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being I shouldn't be on the roads and 10 being a professional, how good a driver are you? I would say 8 or a 9 out of 10. Pretty conscientious. Don't mind operating in difficult, challenging conditions. Not the bring your chair up to the steering wheel kind of conscientious or a little bit more relaxed? As as long as we're driving on the correct side of the road, which is the left-hand side, which all great countries and uh, like the UK and others uh, drive on the left. Once Uh I'm on the other side of the road, though, it's everything's in play. (laughs) Uh, you know, the funny thing is, uh, of course, automatic cars, you know, they have their own challenges as well, which is, it, it sounds pretty strange, but for someone who for this whole, his whole life has driven manual, sometimes it's quite difficult to change to the other side of the road and also drive an automatic. <laughs> Those things are some of life's challenges to overcome. Oh, I love it. So good. Moving from the UK back to Canada, going from manual to automatic, I felt like I was driving a giant go-kart. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, what am I supposed to do with my left foot? It doesn't do anything. It just sits there. <laughs> If everything regresses back to horse and cart, at least in the UK, we'll be able to urge on the horses. That's what they say, right? (laughs) A little bit closer to that transition, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, amazing. So second question, do you have a favorite color? And if you do, can you tell me three deep reasons why it's your favorite? Oh, that's a great question. I love the color blue, actually. Blue being the color of water or rivers, the sky as well. It's a wonderful soothing color with with, life-giving. And there's incredible poetry about about the color blue and about water and the essence of nature built on water. And uh, it's something which is also core to what we do, what I have done in my professional life in terms of travel and, and river cruising. So for me, blue is really an incredible color. Amazing. That's a great answer. Thank you. Can you say something in a different language? Uh, yes. My wife's from Nepal and she's taught me some incredibly rich and diverse language to use when our children are misbehaving. <laughs> Can, am I allowed to hear what it is? No, no, unfortunately, it's not, it's not been cleared for, for air broadcast. But I can say to you namaste, which is one of the greetings from India, which is a nice greeting when you meet someone. Absolutely. What's the max number of spritzes of perfume or cologne before it's just too much? I think 12. 12? But 12 spritzes would be, would be the, the, that's the ideal, that's the sweet spot. Um, I think I think any more than that. And of course, not in the air though, none of this air spritzing. Arjun! (laughs) (laughs) It's a good even number. Uh Uh-huh. I was thinking two, which is also an even number. So agree to disagree. It's it's to your your sweet spot. I was going to say two is probably there. Maybe even one. I think if you're going to wear it, you should wear it with pride and with gusto and with some passion. Well, thank you for your honesty. I really appreciate that. Hopefully people will comment and let us know what they think, what their personal preferences are for the number of spritzes. Say something that's true to you. It's really hard these days to actually come up with anything new as such, but I like to rephrase some of the, some of the great quotes. And there's one quote, 
next to the Thames in London, which is by Sirali. And so it's, I like to rephrase that for India. There are two things scarce matched in the universe, the sun in heaven and the Ganges on Earth. And that's what I would say about India and the Ganges. And that, that's what he said about the Thames. And mm. I think there, there, there are similarities and there are contrasts and synergies there which have been forgotten, which can be recreated. And for me, that, that's the truth about many different rivers all over the world. You know, you have the elements of nature, astronomical phenomena, and you have the physical phenomena on Earth. And there's wonderful things which go on between those different aspects. Stellar answer. Love that so much. Thank you. What animal adds the most joy to the world? Oh, the red panda, definitely. <laughs> yes. Okay, you have survived our weird and wonderful questions. Thank you so much for your willingness and just <laughs> jumping right in with both feet. I really appreciate it. I usually like to start these interviews with a bit of an origin story. I think it just helps to sort of set the tone, let people get to know you a little bit more. So who are you? How did life begin? What's it been like being you? Oof, that's a tough universal cosmic question, Jen. Oh, don't um, worry. We have one of those coming later. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, so I'm half English, half Indian. And I've grown up between two different cultures and uh, I'm married to a Nepali. So I have a, a different third culture there in the house, which is there as well, which is similar to Indian, but slightly different. You know, essentially, I've grown up in a family business around travel, where travel has been not only just a profession, but a way of changing people's perspectives about the world, about creating cultural exchange and about helping habitats and communities develop and evolve and gain sustainable economic development from tourism and that's really i've grown up with the background predominantly focused around south asia so we're talking india nepal and, and bhutan i've kind of grown up in this background context where my parents have been from the ground up in the sense of operations and, and leading and tour guiding and so having evolved in this context here i am today the idea is how do we create these wonderful transformative experiences which not only leave memories of a lifetime but also change the destination irrevocably for the better for the future to create friendships and to create wonderful learning and points of education that generate much more international economies than have existed before the travel experience took place. I mean, travel's in your blood. As you said, you grew up in this context. And so were there other things that you were passionate about growing up? It would just be really interesting to know if this was something that you always wanted to do or were there other things that you thought, oh, maybe I could do that as well? I think it's it's something which has always been in my life, in my way of life. You know, every holiday would always be traveling around with different people in different areas, doing different themed travel. Even as a, as a four or five year old, I dragged around to different national parks of India to see birds and tigers. And it's something which has always been there ticking over in the background. And although I may have deviated here or there and, and reached out different things, that's always been a core of, of who I am and, and what, what I've been doing. And obviously that makes a lot of sense in terms of how we met. We went <laughs> to UCL together and did undergrads in geography. Mine was a BA, yours was a BSc. I always joke that geography is the greedy discipline. People joke that we just color in maps. I'm pretty sure that our undergraduate t-shirt said we were sponsored by Crayola, if I remember correctly. <laughs> <laughs> like that, yeah. <laughs> a degree in coloring in. However, another big part that I think attracted a lot of people to geography was the aspect of travel. It was kind of written in that as a geographer, travel would be a part of what you were doing. Is that how you decided to do geography or how did that come about? I mean, de definitely geography has always been a huge passion of mine. I said fr from childhood and with the travel aspects as well. So you're talking, uh, having seen travel change throughout my life. When I was a child, there was no internet as such for, for travel. Everything was done in an old fashioned way of telephones. You know, there were old manual systems with ticker tapes and other things which used to be used to check logistics and operations and other things. And of course, and faxes came along, you know, now of course with the internet, everything, all the information is readily accessible. But as geographers, the earth is, is continuous. It's a continuous sphere where you have undulating geographies, biogeographies, topographies, you have the oceanic areas. And so everything's interconnected and, and definitely geography, having that holistic viewpoint, definitely travel is a, is, is a fundamental aspect of supporting, of course, not only exploration across, it's also revealing the hidden layers of the different places, the different parts of the earth where people are going to. And these days, travel is it's something which is ready-made off the shelf. It's now it's something which is so easy. You can just use Google and you can find products and packages, everything at your fingertips. Whatever you want is, is, is available there. But really, travel for, for me, from, the, from my core being from, from my up, upbringing, is really, it's a lens. It's a scope of seeing a different place and visiting there in a unique and special way. 
And that is something which I feel has been lost perhaps these days where there's so much choice and so much availability and so much greenwashing. It's hard really to make sense of the world when there's so much information available. And so yet still it comes back full circle to destination experts and people who are stewards for destinations who advocate to visit in those ways. So yes, I think geography was definitely something which was already in my dictionary, even though I didn't know it existed. It was definitely something which I was going towards and going to end up doing. Quite whether I had imagined I would end up with you, Jen, in Vancouver Island, that's a different matter. But uh, definitely geography, I think, was what I was going to to do. Actually, that was going to be something that I brought up next. Not only did we go to university together, experience of studying in class together, but we also had the honor of going on this expedition that we planned with our friend Adrian. I can't even remember how we, we came to be as a group, but ended up being a fantastic experience for all of us to go on this expedition together, which for me, and I would love to hear from your perspective, but I'll just riff on this for a minute. This expedition that we did in 2009 was very formative for me. I had had the great fortune of doing some off the beaten track travel. However, this was kind of the first one where I was going with friends, colleagues, and also really going outside of my comfort zone. It's when I fell in love actually with being comfortably uncomfortable and really pushing the envelope in terms of the things that I had experienced and having to problem solve on the go in some very remote locations. I mean, I remember scaring off cougars with cans of sweet corn and tent pegs banging together. You know, we had that bear encounter on the side of a logging road. We got humpback whales jumping up around our canoe. So for me, when I reflect back on that trip, This was a huge turning point in my life where I basically decided, okay, if there's a way that I can shape my life to allow me to continue going on these transformative types of trip, that's what I would like to do. I don't want to be in an office if I can avoid it. (laughs) Unfortunately, I sit here at 35 being very grateful that I've only done two jobs in my entire career that necessitated that. And I'm, I'm very, very privileged to say that. Well, it's quality, not quantity, Jen. Definitely, I would say that. I would absolutely agree with that. And I mean, another big part that came out of this trip for me was our interaction with local people, obviously with First Nations, learning different lenses of seeing the planet. It really solidified my dedication to making sure that the way that I traveled and what I was doing had the least amount of impact on the environment in terms of making sure that I was choosing very sustainable ways of traveling, but also maximum positive impact for the people who live there. And I know we've already talked about that, but this is something really close to your heart in the work that you do. So first thing I would like to ask is, how was that experience for you? Was it as formative? Maybe it wasn't given the fact that you had grown up doing all these amazing things, but I'd love to hear you talk about that. And then I'd like to talk about what does sustainable travel mean to you? I don't even know, Jen, that was, I think that was my third or fourth expedition that we went on. But I had done some trips, expeditions earlier when I was much younger. So I think when I was 15, I had spent a couple of months in Bolivia on an expedition. But doing it at, at the age we did uh, and in that different formative year at university, where you're kind of really studying from a more academic perspective rather than sort of a general cultural interest. I think definitely it, it sort of shaped how you can consider travel as well. There's always this contrast about travel and exploration, you know, and of course in the media, it's especially with all this space exploration now, it's, you know, it's mm-hmm. what defines a space tourist versus an astronaut. You know, there are all these sorts of different contrasts where uh, how do we define things and how do we judge and value and measure things? That trip for me to Virginia was fantastic because of not only the way we were doing it, the three of us essentially on our, on our own in these wilderness areas for the extended period, but also with the academic tools we had and the way we were analysing in a much greater depth than ever before, a locality and a place and a people, and trying to make a, a better statement of how that area could be enhanced in the future. Sustainability and travel, it, it's a very broad church. And of course, there's a lot of debates and controversy. But for me, on a, on a fundamental basis, you have a thing called destination image formation. And that's how you know, people perceive and see destinations. And for me, destination information, it, it's a direct extension of the autonomy, the identity, the prosperity of, of local peoples and the landscapes which they're part of and they're stewards of. And so I really think that has to be a fundamental underpinning in any sustainability. You know, of course, you have the, the practical technical aspects of, of carbon, of fossil fuel usage, of where the food is sourced and how it's prepared and cooked. What are the 
immunities in the bathrooms and how are they packaged and are they vegan are they are they sourced naturally are they sourced locally uh, how the construction the materials of the places where you're staying where are they sourced from are they are they recycled are they friendly to the environment or to energy resource usage there are so many technical and practical aspects but i think underpinning all of that has to be a philosophy of the destination locality local people and and that's not necessarily to say it has to be purely community based and cooperative but it, there's a range of different structures and entities how travel can be better structured to ensure that the benefits in supply chains more of that goes into and directed to the cultural and the natural development of the place the closest people to that are people who live and work in those areas and that's really those people should be politically empowered in the definition of the travel experience much more i think uh, than is presently being done your parents started this travel business in the 1970s how was the transition from finishing your degree or were you working for your parents at the time that we were at university or was that something that came later? I was always dipping in and out and doing different things, different clerical aspects or other things. After university, I, I was engaged with that. I also had some different work experience in other travel companies, eventually kind of circled back to working with my parents at, at the end of that. Yeah. And we were talking about earlier, I'd love to just delve into this because when we meet people for the first time, one of the most common questions is, what do you do? I love your job title, which is Chief <laughs> Inspiration Officer, <laughs> which I would love to hear the story behind how you came up with that. <laughs> and what does that actually mean? And maybe tell us a little bit more about Antara Cruises and, and how that came about. And what is the inspiration that you're offering in this position that you have? Chief Inspiration Officer is something which is a title I've assumed because it's my passion that people should see India differently. You know, India is one of the, the oldest living civilizations of the world. It has been the centre of many innovations over thousands of years, civilizational innovations across culture, art, history, science and technology, uh, and many more. And so, of course, India has different perceptions, perhaps negative connotations in many parts of the world. Of course, it has its challenges, but, you know, India just celebrated 75 years of of independence. It's now the world's largest democracy. It's a, a huge country with 28 states, eight union territories, 22 official languages. And even from the most recent innovations, you know, finding water on the South Pole of the, the moon, for example. From our perspective, all these are more developed along and because of India's waterways, the rivers, which are the highways for the trading commodities, indigo, opium, tea and spices, but also the communications for thousands of years. We wanted to show places where people could not visit, but many of these innovations, these great mythology and stories happened in the past and after the colonial period got forgotten. We started to operate the first cruises along the Ganges in 100 years from Kolkata to Varanasi, uh, Kolkata being the old British imperial capital and Varanasi is said to be one of the oldest living cities in the world. Mm -hmm. And of course, more lately, the first Indo-Bangladesh cruises in 80 years. And then, of course, last year, 2023, we launched the world's longest river cruise, which is a 52-day river cruise. The idea is that you're traveling. People say India has challenges of long distances. It's hard to access culture. Where do you stay? What do you eat? And so, of course, by locally designing and building ships which have different technologies for pollution prevention and navigation systems, world-class ships, we're able to sail long distances through across different landscapes, biogeographies, visiting different places off the beaten path with low impact, low volume to kind of generate local economic benefits and to showcase those areas. And because of our actions, then revitalize and regenerate these forgotten riparian landscapes. The rivers were the areas which were under operations during the colonial period and were the points of extraction of natural resources and other aspects. So by giving these communities an opportunity to shine and by bringing people to visit them, the idea is how can we regenerate these riparian landscapes, recreate this connectivity? That's really been the last 20 years or so. So as the chief inspiration officer, my goal is to say, yes, of course, there, there can be no great comprehension of India as a civilization without a journey along the waterways, without a visit to these many localities. People do go by land. They go to places where the Taj Mahal are and, and, and other places. But the Taj Mahal is built on, on a river in such a way that there's a wonderful reflection of the building in the river, the Yamuna River in Agra. But actually the builder of the Taj Mahal, Shah Jahan, spent his childhood in a city along the, another stretch of the Ganges where one of our ships sails. And it's because that palace was on the river. That was why he wanted to build this monument to love uh, on a waterway there. 
So there are a lot of these forgotten histories and stories and mythologies interlinking across the world, which were along the, the rivers and waterways. And we want to restore those stories and bring those back. And so that's my role, to inspire people to see India differently, that our ships sail places where there are river dolphins, there are wonderful birds, and there's incredible cultural and natural experiences which can be seen there. Wow. I mean, I want to be able to go to a party and ask you what you do in a group of people and let you say that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I've been doing this for many years and we, we had one ship, we were doing very specific things and, and now we have cultivated with the government different waterways, different theme journeys, different areas. And the challenge I had was that people don't think of India for river cruising. They don't think of India as anything more than beyond certain iconic sites. Mm -hmm. And those sites are iconic and wonderful and those things are amazing and incredible. But there are other parts of the country which are unvisited and which do deserve to be showcased. And the, really the question is how to break through and how to reach people and to say, if you come on our wonderful journeys where you have wonderful local gourmet gastronomy, where you have yoga teachers every morning doing sunrise yoga on different holy rivers, where you have wonderful local excursions where there's no shopping, where you go just walking in different bazaars to different monuments, temples and palaces along the way. It's an India where there isn't so much congestion or people or so much pollution. It's kind of a really different pristine landscapes. People can't imagine that. And it's really, it's kind of how to kind of grab you by the shoulder, shake and say, hey, come and see India differently. India is a modern developing country, large country, taking its place on the world stage. And there are incredible cultural connections to be made, wonderful natural connections to be made, wonderful cultural understandings, wonderful food to be tasted, friendships to be made, memories of a lifetime. And this is the time to do it. Mm -hmm. What does slow travel mean to you? And why do you think it's so powerful for not only the people who are visiting, but also for the people that live there? For me, slow travel is travel which someone 100 years ago would recognize. That's for me what slow travel is. So mm -hmm. If you took someone from 100 years ago and you gave them the same travel experience, they would actually recognize on the whole the experiences, the challenges, the feelings, the sensations. You're really immersing in locality. You're taking the time to enjoy and to see the small details of the place rather than sort of rushing around and trying to, to do too much as, as we're all doing in, in this modern age of fast planes and fast trains. It's about slowing down, enjoying every moment, the general passage of time. I mean, this longest river cruise we launched in the world, which is a 52-day river journey, which traverses 27 different rivers, and you do it on one ship. And you start from Varanasi, you sail all the way down to Calcutta on the Ganges. Then you go up all the way through the Sundarbans, the world's largest mangrove forest. You go up to Dhaka in the capital of Bangladesh. From Dhaka, you go all the way up to Assam, the Ramaputra River, at the foothills of the Himalayas. And you go all the, all the way up to Dubruga, which is up in the far northeast there. And so in this journey of 52 days, you're traversing different river valleys, different biogeographies. You're going from Gangetic floodplains down to mangrove forests, all the way up through different island areas, up to the foothills of the Himalayas. Some valleys you have rhinos and tigers, others you have textiles villages and tea estates. Other areas you have large temples in the world and incredible palaces. And so the slow travel element is that you're tasting history and geography through the taste buds as you're traversing through the different localities where every 50 or 100 kilometers dresses may change people may change different communities would change and so you get to actually enjoy that and immerse in that and that for me is what slow travel is you know someone from 100 years ago who was on this may have experienced a similar type journey but of course they would not recognize technologies on the ship the navigation systems or the, the pollution prevention technologies or the or the different types of fuel we use and other things but they would understand the nature the true nature of the travel experience was not to get from A to B as fast as possible, but to immerse in the journey in itself. With that in mind, obviously, one of the main things that's so important, providing support and empowering local people along the way. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about how has that been for you creating these companies and these cruises? That long cruise that you were just talking about is like 3,000 miles of inland waterways. So that's a lot of distance to cover, but it's also a lot of people along the way. So what are the things that you're doing to empower local people to build those relationships so that these interactions and immersions that people are having when they're traveling with you are really genuine and also ensuring that they are having real positive impact when people choose to go on your trips? Definitely the first thing comes back to the ship. You know, so as so we're, we're a local owner managed firm, we design and build our ships there in Calcutta. They're Indian ships from the hull plates to the cocktails, all local crew from different parts of the rivers. We train and we employ on the ship. Really the project in itself is the community project to actually open these waterways for trade, commerce and navigation 
through our example and the collaboration of the Indian government to do it has been has been a real privilege. As a concept, the fact that you can sail and travel this whole length of all these waterways across India and Bangladesh, which used to be there earlier before post-independence when the region was one political entity. In itself, the exercise of being able to sail has allowed different communities to create new connections, new commerce, which I had never thought before. And so every day we're going along, of course, we have local produce on board, many monuments and places we visit because they're off the beaten path, not really any touristic infrastructure in these places because of us visiting they are better maintained for others to visit now, those monuments. There are other infrastructures being developed along different supply chains, local supply chains along the way. The amount of employment, direct and indirect, we've generated through creating these different voyages and new networks and restoring these networks which used to be there along the rivers, that's really been the impact and the benefit to the local peoples. We're, we're a small company. These are, these are small ships with low numbers of people. You're talking you know, 30 to 40 people at a time only, once in a while. So you're not talking sort of massive of, um, say, economic spend directly, but it's about the holistic view of building up those different routes and networks of allowing communities to ha envision uh, sustainable development for tourism in a different way where tourists never visited before and how we can showcase those cultures to the people on board the ship. And of course, in due course, in the fullness of time, those areas will develop better for different types of terrestrial tourism and, and other things as we have started to open up these different new areas. And how do you think that you've grown as a person in terms of gaining all this experience, basically running quite a big operation? I know you say it's a small business, but at the same time, this is huge in terms of logistics and building this business with your family. We're a family firm and of course we have professional staff and everything, but it's really been the last 10 years. It's been a challenge, but also a learning experience. And as I said, my role as the inspiration officer is really to go out and to spread the word and to go and meet different people. We've made wonderful friendships and connections with people from all over the world who come and sail on our ships and year after year uh, help feature us, promote us and, and collaborate with us. So it's been a wonderful privilege and a pleasure to kind of have that opportunity to be engaged in such an innovative project, which means, us, means so much not only to our local communities, but also the habitats and the projects we work with, but also in terms of changing the narrative for tourism. You know, what is tourism? What is travel? What is the definition of, of a travel experience? Even what should a mainstream travel experience for India be or for any other place? How should the parameters be? It's my hope through our example as a local owner management, cruising tends to have a controversial context around it with different ships with the different systems in place and how large corporations operate. But we operate cruising, which is a different form of cruising, where it's very much local, it's authentic in the sense that some of the ships we use, you know, we use recycled ra railway sleepers, for example, in the in the teak construction of some of the deck. So there are different aspects of the ship, the crew, the software and the hardware coming together to create this wonderful experience. So growing up in the context, having this opportunity to go out and promote and feature this, it's been a challenge to grow and develop. And, and so I've grown into a role as an inspiration officer because of that, I would say, the challenges which I met along the way to communicate, but also convince people that this is, India is worth seeing in this way. Learning about yoga, learning about different localities, different histories and stories, which I never would have seen had I taken a, a normal land trip and not had the contrast. The contrast being of, you know, driving and packing and unpacking and hustle and bustle versus the serenity of being on the water where there's no other people, there's no shopping, no other ships, but every day you immerse in these different places uh, along the journey. And that contrast juxtaposition, that for me makes it all worthwhile. When you've had an opportunity to be on board with people who have chosen to go on these trips, can you maybe share with us just some of your favorite experiences, maybe something that surprised you. One of the benefits, I think, of traveling with people somewhere for the first time, even if you've been there before, is you get to see something through new eyes from a new perspective. I mean, I'm always surprised by, there's a lot of things which are not sort of strictly in the brochure, but there are a lot of activities and wonderful experiences which we offer, which they're like little surprises for the guests. And it's always interesting for me how different guests respond. For example, we have a couple of local cultural troops developing the traditional dance styles. They come on board and dance. And of course, there's the opportunity for guests to dance along with them. And it always surprises me. I don't know why it's like, but every time how there's always one or two really keen, keen dancers who love to get involved with the dance troupe at the end and really enjoy uh, dancing with them. So that, that always surprises me every time. There's always one or two people uh, who relish that opportunity to get out and dance and, and showcase their moves on the dance floor. <laughs> Are you one of them? I've done it so many times now. You know, my <laughs> if I'm on board, I'm expected to get everyone and drag them all up to dance, actually. So it's kind of, 
it's, it's something which I've been doing my, my whole life and kind of used to it, really. You know, sometimes when you're there, you have to get people into the party mode because some people are quite shy. Obviously, being a different context and of course, dancing a different dance style you're not familiar with yeah. can also be difficult. Absolutely. But also really fun. I remember going to my friend's Indian wedding and I learned a lot of new moves. One of my questions for you, Arjun, seeing as your job is to basically curate these incredible experiences for other people. At this stage in your life, or even just looking to the future, is there a trip that you've always wanted to go on that would bring an eye-opening experience for you? Is there a particular region of the world that calls to you that you think would be good for your personal growth and development? Uh, One of my dream trips a few years back, just before COVID, which was to go to the peninsula, which inspired the journey to the center of the earth and to see the cave and the volcano and in Iceland. And that for me was a, f- a fabulous trip, one of my bucket list trips. Just go and explore these different places. That really was a wonderful trip. Being in river cruising, I've had the opportunity to sail many different rivers. And there, there are many rivers, more rivers in the world to explore. Travel in Europe and in South America and in Asia on different rivers. Every river has something unique and interesting to offer. From the Yangtze to the Amazon to the Danube to the Rhine. Every river has different flavors and feelings and emotions. And just, there's really so much more to explore by river as well. There are more rivers I would love to explore because, as I said, every river has different themed journeys and, and voyages. Some are more natural, some are more cultural, some are more about markets, some are more about castles or wine. <laughs> <laughs> there's a river cruise in the world for everyone. It's also, I hope, in India as well that we will make a river cruise for everyone in, in India as well in, in the coming years. But uh, yeah, there are more rivers in the world I, I would love to explore. And there are more rivers in development, whether they're food-based or cultural-based. I would love to see every river in the world and sail on every river route that's in the world and to explore and to see and contrast and enjoy each of them in, in their own way. It's such a cool thing to think about travel in a different way and thinking about something like you know traveling different rivers that all have their own context and stories to share. And I noticed that on your ship that you have a desalination unit and also a reverse osmosis that you're taking water from the river to use on board, which I think is fantastic. And I remember using that when I used to work on the sailboat. But one of the things that I always like to think about especially where I live in terms of the water, that's where I get my drinking water from, is the idea that wherever we are for a prolonged period of time, we become the waterways that we're traveling on. And I don't know if that resonates with you as it did with me, but I think there's something very intimate that can happen when we choose to travel on water. I always call it the water bubble as well. For some reason, when we're on water, everything seems a little bit more open and exciting and exploratory. It's almost like the limitations that we feel on land melt away. Oh, definitely. I mean, even more so, you know, the Ganges being being a holy river, a sacred river, uh, the rural life, the communities, people bathe in the river, they fish in it, they use it for transportation, they worship it. And of course, on board the ship, Yes, the, the water is all purified water from the river. You are actually bathing Ganges water every time you take a shower or every time you're, you're using the water and washing your hands. It is also a part of that unique experience. Definitely, it changes the meaning and nature of traveling on the water, in the water, sailing along. You know, in Hinduism, the waters are interconnected. There's a, a broader sense of holiness to all, all waterways. Being particularly on the Ganges as a sacred river, when you're doing yoga in the morning with sunrise, when you're seeing different temples along the way, it has a spiritual resonance and a meaning. Some people, they find that challenging and some people enjoy that. It really depends on how people accept the experiences, take the experiences. And if they take it as a as a natural course of, of learning, of travel, there's a phenomenal place called Mayapur, where one of the world's largest temples is, is under construction. This is the birthplace of the founder of the Hare Krishna movement. And again, that's a wonderful spiritual place to visit by the river going along. And for those who are interested, it's incredibly moving and, and enriching uh, to have that experience in their life. I'd love to know a little bit more about how you educate people. As you said, like sometimes discussions around spirituality can be uncomfortable for people. However, for others, it's very liberating and exciting. So I'd love to know just how do you incorporate that kind of education on board for your visitors so that they do feel this invitation to dive in a little bit deeper? We have wonderful expert local guides on board. So we have a lot of what they call port talks, you know, lectures and discussions on the history and geography of the region. And of course, the, the religiosity and the religion comes into it. 
primarily we tend to not frame opinions and perspectives, but we do kind of say, well, this is more sort of an explorative or, or a learning exercise rather than personal religious experiences if you don't want to. So it's really just giving the people the space and the time to ask questions to learn and to give a safe space to do that. And that's one of the, the beautiful things about sailing on the ship. It's, as I said, you get the feeling of locality, the flavors, the place, you have the, the yoga. And then when you go to visit these places, you feel that not only are you ready to visit them, but you also understand why they're important, why they're interesting. That, if that's what you're interested to, to learn about. And it's very uh, relaxed, the experience. You just go off and walk and, and you go and see the different places. But definitely for those who are interested, I mean, there are wonderful temples baked from the clay of the river, 18th century temples with wonderful reliefs and carvings. There are many parallels between different religions all over the world, and in Hinduism, of course, there are many parallels in different stories and mythologies which are there in the reliefs. And so there would be stories and, and ideas which are related in the Indian culture, which are also in different parables from the Bible or other, other backgrounds. So it's just that wonderful, unique opportunity, that, that different lens. But also this part of India, primarily along the Ganges from Kolkata, this was the area where for thousands of years, people from all over Asia went because the fertile Ganges soil gave such abundant fruits, vegetables, natural produce, it had the finest textiles in the world, textiles which bankrupted empires in Europe on balance of trade. Mm. And, and really, that was the reason why we had there was so much innovation there. In Bengal, the great poetry, I mean, the first non-European to win the Nobel Prize for Literature, Ramanujanath Tagore was a Bengali. This is such an area which has had a historical rich abundance of culture based on the geography, based on the, the fine sediment from the lower end of the Ganges. And so to have the opportunity to, to see this landscape, which had been important, but then of course, with the colonial period, this was the area which was exploited in, in a significant way in the extraction of the natural resources, mm -hmm. the textiles and other things. And so to have the opportunity to visit villages and to help restore them there's villages of a thousand weavers where even today the finest muslin in the world is made and the french fashion houses secretly go and buy it there to have them to go and visit this village and to buy muslin directly from the ladies who make it there and support their craft and the restoration of their craft that's a unique experience as well so whether it's from the religious aspect side from the textiles and handicraft side or of course wonderful palaces there's an incredible palace there called the thousand door palace and it was designed by a scotsman who couldn't imagine rooms without fireplaces so he put fake <laughs> fireplaces in different rooms to feel like he did a good job and many of the doors are, are fake they're painted on it's a beautiful palace museum there's different layers of this experience and underlying it is that the wonderful sacred aspect but there's also this colonial history the culture and the textiles there's the artisans and the incredible gastronomy and the food so there's a wonderful balance of different ideas and concepts to explore on the journey. There's Chandanagore. It's a wonderful French colonial enclave. They had a guillotine there till the 19th century. People know about Pondicherry in South India, but this is a wonderful boulevard on the waterfront. There's a Sacré-Cœur church and, and an old governor's mansion with Marianne in front with the Tricolor. And again, it's a unique place to visit where people don't really go to. So in one journey, you see many of these different places where you can't really go by land. They're not easily accessible. And you see it in one succinct journey, all the way from, from Kolkata, which has incredible imperial capital. The, the governor's building there is, you know, as large as one of those buildings in Whitehall. It's just phenomenal. And it's an incredible memorial to Queen Victoria, built from the same marble as the Taj Mahal. So you have all these wonderful hidden gems uh, along the way. And to showcase them in a unique, innovative way, that's regenerating these landscapes, that's enhancing local peoples, and to doing it in a way which is really telling the, the true story of India's history and moving to the future. That's really how we're trying to focus and, and move forward. I think that's so fascinating. And I'm just curious to know how you handle conversations around colonialism. We don't take a judgmental approach. It's more from a historical or a geographical approach that these are the places which these events happened. Mm. We had a wonderful special sailing featuring William Dalrymple, who's an author. And this was a cruise we had specially made based around his book called The Anarchy, which is essentially, it's a book about the East India Company and the foundations of colonial India later on. But the idea is not to sort of criticize or judge, it's more that these are the places which were historically important in the development of the, of the East India Company, which later on became British India and later on the colonial whole thing developed. So it's more from a factual or historical standpoint that we're showing these places where these events took place, where the, the backdrop of the stories, traveling as they did in the 18th century, how they traveled from Calcutta up. It gives you a better understanding of, of the feeling of the place and why things were done in the way they were done, bearing in mind the context and objectives of different organizations. From the North American perspective, you have Cornwallis after losing the, the colonies. He was then sent to India. He died in India as a tomb on the Upper Ganges. So there are the different connectivities and different stories it's said that the American anthem, the, the Star Spangled Banner, the rocket technology used was earlier taken from Tipu Sultan, one of the, the rulers in South India. 
the, the man writing it was incarcerated on one of the last Royal Navy ships built in the Mumbai dockyards. So there were these historical links from the British Empire days, mm. linking to Calcutta, linking to these areas, linking to the East India Company, and to kind of restore those narratives and to bring back those aspects which may have been forgotten in the midst of time. I think that's important to reforge those connections. Allowing people to make their own decisions about how best to navigate that. That's it. Yeah. For me, I, I love these kind of historical connections, you know, that you find across the world, things which are disparate or things which are, which are connected or how in when the Spanish Armada was coming to England, they used the beacon technology, lighting beacons to warn the fleet was coming. And of course, around a similar time frame in South America, they were using the same technology. Uh, so it's kind of there are these interesting stories across the world of things which are similar, things which are different, some are connected, some are not. But it all expresses a unity, a shared humanity of mm. common cause and of common struggle as well. It's just sort of to bring those stories to life, bring those connections. And it really, I think, adds a different layer of cultural exchange and knowledge development that you can't get just from purely reading or watching a video. And that leads perfectly on to heritage. For me, heritage are the things for which we're guardians of and which we are safeguarding for future generations. And for me, those are built in, in two ways. One is culture and one is nature. So you have the natural heritage, which you're responsible for, which you're custodian of, and which you would want future generations to see and enjoy in the same way that you are. And it's the same thing for, for cultural aspects as well. Again, it sort of underpins sustainable travel. It, in my humble opinion, it's people who live in destinations and who work in this culture and this natural lines every day. Those are the people best suited to understand what's needed to sustain that for the next generations. And so for me, that's what heritage is all about. It's about cherishing what we have, both in cultural terms and natural terms, sustaining that and also evolving and developing for the future so that future generations could also enjoy the same things. So I think that's key. And I, th I believe travel is really a fundamental part of that because it both economically and intellectually enriches all parties involved and gives a scope for economies of scale and multiplication activities across different areas. Do you think your relationship to heritage and legacy has changed since you had your own children? Oh, definitely. I think uh, people always talk, but I don't think uh, anyone is really prepared for the sleep deprivation and the, the emotional <laughs> challenges that children pose. And of course, the existential questions as well. Someone told me that children are your replacements for the future, which is, which is true, actually, in many ways. And, and so, again, it's the question of stewardship and the things which you cherish and you enjoy and the things which you're doing, the impact you have, would they be able to enjoy in the same way? And particularly when it, when it comes to travel, it's sort of, okay, well, the places you're promoting or the way in which you promote different destinations, does that enhance the place that, that they would see a, an embedment of that place in their lifetimes? Or is it something which, which would be not enhanced in the future? And, and it, that's, again, it changes the longevity and the, the timeframes you're working for, definitely. And I'm just curious, you know, having grown up traveling and being a part of what your parents created and what you've continued on, what really lights you up when you think about traveling with your children? <laughs> well, right now, of course, everything we do is an expedition, even going to the, to the shops. But one day soon, I hope so, we, we will be able to travel somewhere. One of the things about travel is you learn more about yourself. It's also about self-realization, self-actualization. It's about learning things about yourself and following your passions and your interests. And so whenever I'm doing any travel, of course, cruising is one part of the things we do. And we do many other things. The first question they ask someone, they say to me, what should I do? I say, is, what is your passion? What is your interest? How do you frame what you want to follow and what you want to do? And so I would love for them on their own be able to learn what their passions and interests are and to support them to travel, to follow the interests and to learn more about them. I mean, for example, you know, I love, of course, I do love nature, but I, I love food, I love gastronomy, I love culture, I love learning different stories and mythologies. So for me, I'm always interested in, in those aspects when I look to travel, as opposed to say, you know, other people may have a different interest. Uh, and so I would love to support them in their journey to discover what really interests them for travel. Because nowadays the world is totally on offer and every type of travel experience is there, but to find the right travel experience for you, which makes sense for your interests and your passions, that's the key and the challenge, I think. And that's what I would love to help them to achieve. I love that. And as you said, I think it's a much wider invitation for everybody to not only do that for travel, but in life, really returning back to, you know, what are my passions? What are the things that I, I think about when I get up in the morning or the things that I would like to explore and discover? So I think that's just such a beautiful way to end this conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing all this incredible knowledge and experience with not only me, but our listeners as well. I don't know about everyone listening, but I've always wanted to go to India. It's definitely on my list and now even more so. so 
I'll probably wait till your kids are a bit older, Arj, and then I'll come with you on the trip. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so, so much for, for coming on and being so honest about why travel is so meaningful, not only within your life, but for all of us and the importance of going and exposing ourselves to different ways of life, immersing ourselves in different cultures, and really making sure that the ways that we travel are the least amount of impact in terms of the environment, but maximum amount of impact in terms of our shared humanity. Yeah, I think definitely, Jennifer, there's also a balance to be said, you know, that we are part of the environment, the environment is part of us. But mm -hmm. Fundamentally, if local people are empowered through economics, through a sustainable development model, which is partly supported by travel, that will have a much better support for the habitat in the long run than, than not. So that, this is my fundamental belief you know, in terms of how the dynamics can work much better than a purely abstract model where travel is an extractive thing and where it's carbon and everything like that. If it's locally focused and based on destination stewards, that's really a key to helping those people to create that heritage for the future. And that's what I think is, is missing sometimes from the narrative. Absolutely. And I think this conversation will hopefully help all of us think a little bit more when we next plan a trip about how do we actually choose consciously to make sure that the trips we're going on feed into that. So before we wrap up here, I'm going to ask you the big existential question in a moment, which hopefully <laughs> <laughs> we joked about it earlier, but I was serious. <laughs> I would love to know what you have chosen for your cause this month. That's a great question, Jen. Economics is really the key to what we are all doing and, and how we choose to spend, who we buy from, are they local, how do they affect the locality, what projects are they interested in as experts in, the, in those areas. So I think everyone should think up more about, you know, what we spend, how we spend it, what we buy, and what impact does that have on us, our communities, our families, the environment for the long run? Does it enrich our shared humanity? So that's the first thing I would say. But if it's a, a specific organization, I mean, there are many different organizations we are collaborated with and sponsors for a very long time. For example, for wildlife, there's one in a place called Bharatpur in Rajasthan. It's called Lifeline for Nature Society, and it's primarily engaged with helping educating school children really to value and cherish their natural heritage and to keep in mind recycling and, and other environmental challenges and to support as well, you know, learning about nature and bird watching and conservation, which is really key for the future of maintaining our natural heritage. There's places in, like in Kolkata, there's a organization called Kolkata Rescue, which again is helping children from lower socioeconomic backgrounds to get a better education and to thrive and survive as, as adults. So these are two different organizations, but I would say fundamentally think about how we're spending, what we're spending, and does it benefit us and benefit our communities and benefit our planet in what we're doing? And I think that's the fundamental basis and rationale of how we should try to move forward. Fantastic. So an open invitation to everyone to choose this month if you want to pick something closer to home or you can choose one of the partners that Arjun mentioned. So I'll make sure to put that in the show notes so everybody has a chance to make a choice. It's actually something I did a, a short episode between seasons. You're the first episode of season two. It was interesting because obviously in 2023, we supported 12 different causes chosen by our guests. But in that short episode, I, I really reiterated you don't have to support one of these causes that's been chosen. You can absolutely be picking things that are closer to home and closer to your heart because that's how we create change is by starting with the things that we're passionate about and going from there and never underestimating the power of where you put your money. So without further ado, Arjun, I hope you're ready for this. What do you think is the meaning and purpose of life, the universe, and everything? Oh, it's a Douglas Adams question, is it? <laughs> well, I think for me, it's, uh, I think we should all just drink tea and make friends. Are you drinking tea right now? I am, yes. <laughs> and we're friends. So you have succeeded <laughs> at the meaning and purpose of life, the universe and everything. That's wonderful. Oh, well, thank you so much for today, Arjun. I am so grateful to catch up with you after a decade of life intervening. And I am just so glad that we were able to reconnect today that I was able to hear and as well as the listeners to hear all of the things that you're doing and to choose some really worthwhile causes that people can choose from and also to just 
know a little bit more about what travel actually means. We talk about it all the time. People dream about traveling. They have bucket list trips, as you mentioned earlier. But to really start to ask that great big question of why and what are the impacts that I have in the world when I travel and how can I make them a little bit more conscious? So thank you very much for joining me today. That's right, Jen. Thank you so much for the, and thank you everyone for listening. If you listened this far as well, thank you for making it to the end. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll invite you all to, you know, c- come and come to India, come and travel, see India differently, learn different ideas, see different places, you know, really challenge different thought processes you may have or uh, ideas you may have seen or, you know, and learn different poetry and try different food. That's one of the joys of traveling. It's, it's also that you know, expanding horizons and meeting new people, making new connections. And I think that's really uh, just truly wonderful. And we're really privileged to be able to, to do that. This month's recreation donation is an invitation for each of us to choose. As you now know from exploring with Arjun and I in this episode, his business is built upon a foundation of collaboration with local people, artisans and guides, as well as a diverse range of local NGOs and initiatives throughout the region of the world in which they operate, ensuring that they are always supporting local, both the places they visit and the people who live there. A perfect way to start this year of exploration is Arjun's invitation for all of us to choose a cause close to where we live and in honor of our passions in life. This allows us to witness more directly what our money, time, and voice are impacting, as well as reflect on what we are choosing to safeguard for future generations with our efforts. If you would like to choose one of Arjun's many partners, we've included three of them in the show notes. As our mission with this podcast is to support causes around the world, we've chosen to support Tiljala Shed, a grassroots, apolitical, and non-religious not-for-profit that works hand-in-hand with communities through Kolkata as well as operating two shelter homes, one for working and street children, and the other for children from rag-picking families who have been involved in drugs, crime, and abuse. They also provide empowerment and education programs for women, youth, and marginalized groups that are built upon a foundation of inclusivity and raising their ability to participate in leadership and decision-making in households, communities, and on a national level. Whether you can volunteer your time, money, or your voice, We hope you will head over to our Patreon page to find out the different ways you can support many unique versions of recreation for the world. Please take the time to let us know what the stories we explored in this episode meant to you. And if you do take action to support a cause this month, thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Recreation to Recreation. If you or someone you know has a unique and inspiring story to tell, make sure to reach out so we can share it with the world. Until next time, keep happy, keep healthy, and keep exploring.